Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. On today's episode, the head of global operations for Facebook, John Devine. That gets to the humility we were talking about before. I mean, listen, we all have norms and biases. That's just a product of who we are and the place and the time that we grew up. But I think the humility comes in realizing that that you do have those biases or norms. And just like for me, you know, when I left the military, I thought, oh, I got leadership figured out. You know, you realize, oh, there's a whole different world that operates very differently than what I thought was leadership. And I've been learning, you know, since I was the plebe, you know, when I turned 17, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, okay, I got to record And then I learned that again, you know, when I left McKinsey and came in the company, like, oh, I have all the tools, but I'm a great problem solver. I've led people in the military. Oh, wait, this is a lot different. And I think that humility to continue to recognize that other people have uh, very different human experiences. And, and without, w- without doing that, I don't think you can be an effective leader. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, and helping make this place better than we found it. And certainly my guest today fits all of that criteria for a guest on The Dose. John Devine is the head of global operations for Facebook. He's a former Navy officer who transitioned into a very well-known leader in the tech world, but he's got deep military roots. Devine spent three of his eight years of active duty on a submarine as a Naval officer after he graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy. After leaving the Navy, Devine leveraged those lessons he learned in the military with roles at McKenzie & Company, where he spent well over a decade there, I think 13 years to be exact, before he eventually headed into Silicon Valley to work in tech. In June 2013, Devine became the senior vice president of Yahoo's global operations. And then just five years after that, Devine was named the vice president of Facebook's global operations leading the massive social media platform in combating misinformation as well as focusing efforts on integrity. Devine began his new role as the head of global operations shortly after the global pandemic started and a contentious presidential election. So he's got a lot of great leadership nuggets in here. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. John takes us through three chapters of his leadership development, his military experience, his time at McKinsey, and certainly now at Facebook. A lot of leadership nuggets. You're going to learn a lot here. Let's get on with it. John Devine here on The Dose. You know, you roughly spent, it was about 10 years you spent in the Navy, roughly the time frame. Yeah, I mean, I took my oath of office as a plea with the Naval Academy when I was 17. I was pretty young coming into our class, uh, and I was active duty until almost the day I turned 30. So so really 13 years if you also include Yeah, include the Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did it come apparent to you when you were done with the Navy. Now you're going on to McKinsey, I think was the next, was that the next chapter from there? Yeah, Did that was you, my second chapter. Yeah. I, I took it for granted when I was in it because I'm around everybody 
you know, it's all the same. But once I got away from it, that's when the lessons started to become clear to me. I'm curious if the same thing happened to you. Uh, yeah, there was an awful lot of reflection, uh, especially when I made that transition from chaplain. By the way, I wish I was in the Marine Corps. I was below the Marine Corps. I was a submarine. I, I was not good enough to be a Marine, <laughs> right. so I was on submarines. No. Uh, but the, uh, um, you know, the great thing about the Naval Academy, I mean, from the first day you were there, um, it was it was a lesson in leadership. It was a crucible of leadership. It was a laboratory of leadership. And, you know, I think even as a plebe, even as you were getting yelled at, the notion of leadership somehow I think was really impressed upon my brain. But certainly, the, I remember going to class the first day as a plebe and carrying this little blue book and going to a class called Naval Leadership 101. And, and, and that was a, you know, actually really foundational, good first principles book that started a set of building blocks um, through case examples that I continue to reference until this day. And I remember experiences, you know, before I had left, ever left Annapolis that I, I realized, even though it was granted a bit of a simulation, you know, you were practicing becoming a leader or at least a military version of a leader. So, um, you know, I think leadership was on my brain. It wasn't like the day I left, I was like, oh, shoot, I ought to take stock of the, all the right. leadership stuff I learned. I, I, th I think I was cataloging it mentally throughout my experience at Annapolis and then, you know, in, in the submarine force and being on a, a ship at sea and, um, you know, thinking about leadership, leadership style. Um, and then there was real, a real test the day that I did leave. It was a hard decision to leave, but the day I did leave the military, I really took a plunge into a completely different ecosystem where a lot of the things I thought I had learned about leadership well, I mean, I learned a lot, but a lot of the things that I thought applied universally, I found out were very conditional on you know, the military structure, the military setup. On the other hand, I also found that I brought a lot of stuff that the you know, other associates at McKinsey, I thought, you know, was clear to me, just didn't have the benefit of that kind of experience or that kind of meditation and contemplation. They were really missing. So, so I had a bunch of assets, but also I realized I had a bunch of um, uh, kind of things that were specialized and needed to be generalized. Yeah, that that. That sums up kind of how I felt too. And it yeah, it didn't happen like a lightning bolt all at once. It was kind of a series of slow fades and experiences as as I went through. To your point, some things did apply, some things didn't. You know, some things didn't fit, some things fit like a glove, and some things were new concepts to people that never heard it before. And I had that benefit of kind of those real world experiences that some of my contemporaries didn't have. And I know that contributed greatly to any modicum of success that I had in the real world, right? Some of the good things. There are some things that didn't work, that didn't fit, you know, that that were actually easier in the military because we had to be there. No one could just like quit, you know? Yeah. You, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't fire it. So, and you also had great, the other thing that I didn't appreciate until I was out is that you had the kind of freshness of turnover in the military. You know, even, so even if you were kind of faced with a, a less than desirable leader or a less desirable situations, you know, in a year and a half to two years, it could be completely recycled, a, a chance to a reset to to get a whole new co culture, if you will. That was kind of refreshing in the military, to be quite honest. Yeah, I think that's true. Again, that's that's some of the, um, you know, the, the military, I think, provided a lot of structure in which to practice leadership and, and yes. frankly practice it safely. And you almost had a safety net around you. I'm not in any way. It was also damn hard, you know. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and really, really challenging situations, but it had a lot of infrastructure, um, 
you know, uh, and scaffolding in place. Uh, for me, the transition I made was not just into a civilian uh, or private public company, but into um, McKinsey, for those who you know, aren't aware, is a, a, a global consulting firm, uh, a very good one. Yeah, it's um, the global consulting firm as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's kind of the cream of the crop almost, really. A great, bunch of great folks, including a bunch of great, great military leaders in McKinsey. But um, um, there was it. It it, apply, it, 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 you know, prides itself on being a very flat structure where everybody um, has an obligation, whether you're first day associate or a most tenured director, uh, you know, to speak uh, with the same obligation, the same voice about whatever problem you're working on, and it also there's a notion of really blending in with a with a client. It's client service. Obviously, you're serving clients as a consulting consulting firm, uh, and and any notion of positional authority, title authority, you know, is completely completely gone. In fact, it's it's very much um, it's it, you know it's, it's very much tried to wash diluted and washed away on purpose. You don't want any of that. So all of a sudden, for me, I was finding myself having to rely on or build a set of leadership muscles that. The military, uh, you know, ha- hadn't really uh, strengthened for me as much um, because you didn't have some of those safety nets, some of the structure, some of the, you know, the, the those things in place. So instead, yeah. you know, you were you were you were you know just learning different leadership mechanisms. Yeah, that high, kind of hierarchical structure that is kind of inherent in any military organization. I will say that flying plate. I don't know what it was like on the on subs. But the the multi crew aspect, the flying airplane aspect, um, lend itself. And in, in, it's kind of a relatively new concept. I say new at the time, really kind of came of age in the seventies on up and through the the two thousands, where it really got honed. Was this concept of of um, of crew resource management or cockpit resource management was kind of relied like on the McKinsey model of this kind of flat matrixed. Uh, decentralized organizations where it's not your right to challenge, it's your obligation. And that's something that was, that was drummed into me. Not so much. I mean, the, the Marine Corps, certainly more than the Navy and certainly more than the Air Force, but there was this, certainly this culture in the Marine Corps of like, it is your right to challenge, not your obligation. You get certain chances. A lot of time the Marine Corps though, it was a lot of it was behind doors. Um, I had a previous guest in here where they called it the slap and the smile. Like a lot, what a lot of people don't see in military organizations is when you're planning and everything. There's there's a lot of heated debate and a lot of heated, yeah. um, particularly on the officer side, the officer corps, and a lot of listening and a lot of championing, a lot of arguing, and it can be very passionate and very heated. And then the commander slaps the desk and I'm like, okay, I've made my decision and this is where we go. And what I loved about that slap and smile kind of thing is like once the doors were open and we had that chance to kind of argue and debate and plead our case, once the door was open, we were all in support of whatever decision was made. That's one yeah. thing that I see lacking in the real world, the corporate world, that the the military, the Marine Corps particularly taught me. I, I don't know. Those are some of the things I was thinking about when you were when you're talking about that. Yeah, I think that principle of Debate and disagree, but then commit and move forward is one that I think in yes. healthy organizations I've seen really emphasized. I also agree that in the military, I do feel like I learned. You know, there were there were different operating rhythms and environments when you were at sea, on watch, you know, or at battle stations. You know, I mean, that's one version of 
or trying to get the ship underway tomorrow, uh, you know, it's the you know the the leadership and the and the, and and you know and 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 the management became very chain of command, top down, give orders, take orders, respond, get it done. You know, lead your lead your division to you know you know they have to be up all night and you're out in the radio room with them or with the with the deck division, you know, loading stores. You know, that that was that's one of our which is different than you know. Uh, voyage planning, trip planning, and and that there you do have to. I think we did have to build a lot more collaborative skills, um, and you know, working with peers, influencing one another. So it's not always it's not always in the military, uh, obviously that that structural piece. But um, but you know, for me, when all that was gone, I I did have to learn learn a set of set of new skills. Yeah, would they call that? Is that, that's something I learned when I was in corporate America, the first time I was faced at what they called kind of a matrix type organization. That's something that I had to get used to. I don't know if, if McKinsey kind of invited that type of culture. I worked with it, you know, where I was, you know, I was responsible for so much, but I didn't have, I was reporting to so many different people, right? There's like this flat organization and I had to, I had to learn yeah. that, you know, that was very yeah. challenging. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's very much my life currently, which we can get to, you know, at Facebook and, you know, Yahoo before cross-functional relationships are, you know, as strong as the, you know, chain of command, the organizational structure in which you're working. Uh, mm-hmm. McKinsey was, was, I would say, even more fluid. Um, you, know, you basically operated within teams and the teams were constantly dissolving and forming based on different clients that you were serving. And, you know, you could be working as a new associate, you'd be working for one project manager or partner, you know, for, for two months. And then, you know, you might never see it, work with them again, you know, right. move on to another project, another set of team, another set of peers that you were, with whom you were working, also another, you know, brand new client. So, so there was a constant disillusion, dissolving and reformation of teams, which, which, by the way, gave me a very high appreciation for team dynamics, understanding teams, how teams operate, uh, you know, how individual personalities um, uh, and personality types come to play within teams. Um, and, and, and so that was, that was, that was, that was a really good, uh, you know, good set of learnings there. But yeah, I would, yeah. I wouldn't even call it a matrix because it was, it no. was really, it was, it was very, 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 very flat. It's kind of like insertion teams or tiger teams yeah. that are very fluid, you yeah. know, that could be, yeah. What uh, I worked, I really enjoyed my time. I spent um, about eight years with Bombardier Aerospace and uh, in multiple Great locations, and and I had to deal with McKinsey a lot. They had a, a for, for almost two years. I got to know about ten folks from McKinsey and worked with them. And then actually, I think I was telling you, and I was going to look at this name, and I forgot this week. But the president of one division was a former McKinsey. Uh, graduate, you know, worked at McKinsey for years. So I got to learn a lot about that culture. I really had fun working with them. It was almost like they kind of adopted me a little bit in some of their teams. You know, they used me to, for some of their, so I learned a lot from them and it was really fun. I really appreciated the kind of their, they, they seemed to, um, when I would talk to them about these concepts, particularly of decentralization and pushing leadership to the lowest level, um, you know, making decisions based on intent, um, measuring and KPI. They it gelled with a lot of stuff that I learned in the Marine Corps. So I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but they really it's it's like they they really enjoyed working with me, and I enjoyed working with them. 
it was fun. Yes, I, I would separate what I experienced at McKinsey among among you know among my colleagues and partners and working with clients from the structure and organization that we try to put in place and work in, with in a, at different for clients. a client, yeah, for yeah. a client, yeah, <laughs> and 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 the fact that you know for me having the military experience, having experience because there's so many best practices we do in the military, from, sure, like you yeah. said, resource management, uh, training, development, uh, and it's just a lot of great really best practices, uh, OKRs, measurements, and, and those are severely lacking in, in too many, too many, even healthy, you know, large businesses, large companies. And so, uh, you know, being able to, being able to fall on that for me when I was at McKinsey was really helpful. And, and it's funny you're talking about, because on the McKinsey side, you know, we would absolutely recognize people like you, you know, you, we start working with client, you, you feel, you realize who the operating agents are, the agents of change, the people who can get things done. And, and those are always fun relationships. We would form those really deeply and, 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 you know, do a lot of great work together. Yeah. How many years were you there again? I mean, you told me last week and I can't remember. I was there, I was there for uh, 12 years, um, basically from the day I was 30, you know, for the next 12 years of my life. Um, you know, I would say I, I didn't go there thinking that I wanted to be a consultant. It was actually yeah. some other military folks who had said, hey, because I, I'd never heard of McKinsey six months before I joined. I, I literally, you know, I'd, wow. I'd, I'd, um, I, I was, I'd been an engineer. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just never really thought about consulting or business as my destiny. But in 99, you know, I, just, I decided I didn't want to stay in the Navy forever. The world was exploding with a dot-com boom, and there was a lot happening in private industry and technology. And uh, so I made the decision, I'm like, yeah, and a few other a few other folks who had been in the military had said, hey, you ought to think about McKinsey. It's a great firm in what they do. And um, you know that that really that really changed my life. I was there for for 12 years. I worked with uh, you know I, I worked with a lot of like you mentioned Bombardier. I learned with I worked with air you know uh, aerospace with banks and and um, uh, you know, telcos and government. I worked for the defense department of defense a lot. I went to Afghanistan three times, uh, on a, on a project to support the secretary of defense. Um, with, by the way, a guy named Pete Buttigieg was, uh, one of the associates on my team. Oh, it was really? Really impressive. He's a Rhodes yeah. scholar who was like, looked to me like he was 15 years old. And I remember thinking, <laughs> right. he's probably going to do like pretty well 15. someday. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was a, there were many stories like that. McKinsey's full of, uh, you know, impressive, impressive folks. So that was a, that was a 12 year journey for me. Yeah. What an, what an amazing experience to be exposed to all those, that, that diverse and depth and breadth of experiences is just, it's hard to measure, you know, and all different industries, all different situations. You probably saw so many things that just are in your hip pocket now that, that are helping your current role. Yeah, I would say I'll talk about what I learned and I'll talk about the leadership element specifically. I mean, you know, to your point, you, you, you're working, it's, it's very stressful. You're working for essentially CEOs all the time on problems that are very hard, but you learn to really trust your, yourself, your first principles around all dimensions of companies and business and strategy. And, um, and that's good. You know, you really become confident in what's important, what's not. McKinsey teaches a rigorous, you know, really works uh, through a rigorous process of problem solving, uh, efficient problem solving approach, uh, and kind of 80, 20, you know, in every, every situation to, to try to have 
you know, maximum impact given the short time frame and the very hard problems. It also really, it really uh, refines your ability to synthesize and simplify what are typically very ambiguous and heated uh, situations. And I would say there my also my military experience, you know, the, the, being on the bridge of a submarine, you know, when there's three, you know, simultaneous casualties going on and being able to slow down simplify or see other senior officers who are able to do this taught me a lot in, in handling ambiguity and stress. So those are the, those are some of the things that, that, um, you know, I took away from a, just a professional development. Now, in terms of leadership, again, we didn't have any positional authority. In fact, you, you wanted to really blend in with clients. Um, and the, and the firm, as I said, is very flat. You, you learn to lead through, um, problem solving leadership was one, you know, just, really being lucid and clear on whatever problem you were facing and efficient and, and having structured thinking around around that. Um, and also, you know, uh, deep analytics, just a lot of analysis in McKinsey and, you know, hypothesis-driven um, problem solving with a lot of analysis behind it. So, you know, McKinsey's known for decks with a lot of, you know, a lot of data behind it, but hopefully all pointing to the direction of a set of actions or solution for a client. But problem solving leadership was was really, really important. Um, interpersonal leadership was really important. Again, because you didn't have the benefit of any stripes on your collar or any structure in order to give orders or have anybody follow you, you really had to understand what people's motivations were and what made them tick. And, and so uh, you became a real student of other other people and their motivations. Um, and that was really helpful. I, I thought I found that fascinating. I, you know, working with people is a fascinating part of what we all do. And, and it gave me a much, and the firm's very good at, at, um, you know, at spending time and, and developing people and, and, uh, you know, this Myers Briggs, you know, thinking about personality types and how people and what, what motivates different, different leaders and executives. So, um, I think that element of people leadership, client and, and people leadership became much more refined for me. Uh, communication, uh, you, you you practice from day one how to be compelling in your written and your verbal communication in order to lead people. And yes, that was there, you know, in the military, but it was, again, with all this safety and the structure around it, you, you could get by. Yeah, you could get by being a C-plus communicator. And, uh, you know, I'd say in the more fluid environment, in the high-pressure environment of being at a place like McKinsey, it became... You know, those, those, that skill. So there was thought leadership, you know, oh, thought leadership, just knowing a lot about something. That was another big thing. Like being an expert in some domain, um, was, was also, you know, some, from the day you got there, you're, you're, you're starting to kind of major in certain topics. You wanted to be an expert in aerospace, for example, you know, so I could walk into Bombardier and say, Hey, I've seen, you know, air, you know, manufacturing plants, which by the way, I got to do and it was super interesting. But you know, you can, there's a real expert leadership benefit from being able to say, you know something deeply, you can problem solve a new problem, you understand what's going to motivate people, and I can communicate it. So so those were some of the leadership skills that, it's not that they were absent in the military, but they were strengthened for me when I got into that environment. That resonates with me deeply because I was, I'm just, I was thinking back to when I worked, worked in the real world, in particular at Bombardier, and some of those things that I had to really try hard at. And, I, and I've, I've given advice. Some people have asked me, younger folks that are just starting out in their careers, and they say, "Well, I, you know, what advice would you give me to, to getting ahead and this and that?" And I, it was around the people leadership and the communication, kind of those emotional intelligence umbrella things that I think, honestly, is is 
most lacking just in general and in, in everyday life. And if you can get good at what you said about that, really understanding what motivates somebody else and really listening, that's when the corner started to turn for me at least, or at least a light bulb went on and I started seeing some different results where prior I was probably banging my head against the wall and I was defaulting to all oh, this guy or gal just doesn't get it. You know, they're just dysfunctional. And when I started looking at realizing that almost every dysfunction that I saw in an organization as a whole, or particularly coming from an individual, was always coming from a place of insecurity and lack. It was never coming from a place of confidence or abundance. And when I realized that, I, I went at it with a more, I don't know, empathetic eye that I didn't have in the military because of those safety nets and the expectations were kind of more, they weren't always black and white, but they were certainly more black and white in the military environment in, in that aspect where I was in the real world. Okay. I got to figure out how to work with this person and like, why are they doing that? And why are they losing their temper? Why are they doing this? And when I saw them differently, like understanding their motivations or at least realizing that, man, they're coming from a place of lack of confidence. I usually made some headway. Anyway, that, those were my thoughts that were kind of running through my head as you were talking about. I think you can record that and bottle it up and, 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 and replay it, resell it. I mean, I think that's so on point. Uh, you know, and, and, and one of the things, words going through my mind as you spoke there, Rich, was, you know, humility. Um, um, this came to me even more, you know, more important to me in chapter three of my own personal experience. But, um, you know, I would say over the course of my life, you know, one thing that I, I, I truly feel and I've learned is, is, uh, humility always being learning as a leader. You know, you always have areas you can develop and to your point, always be learning about other people and what, what motivates and what, what drives them and genuinely caring and, and, and holding that as, uh, you know, escal elevating that is, is absolutely essential. Again, I think in a highly structured environment, you can get away without that or less of that. But if you're, if you're going to, um, operate a more fluid, dynamic, or less structured organization, it's just, it's exponentially more important. And it's not, and, and it's a learnable skill, I think. It's, yeah, it's, it's everybody um, can learn it. I, I agree yeah. with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I'm still learning it. I'm still learning it. I'm well, learning it every yeah. day. I mean, we you know, did four hours with my team this week on Monday, and I continue to just listen and learn more about, you know, individuals on my team and, and how they process and why they're reacting or acting, you know, in a certain way. Um, but if, if you can make it a pursuit, you know, you can, you can study it, you can practice it, you can get better at it. And I think yeah, that's a, for sure. an essential element of leadership. And then, and then the other thing I would say is that it's become more and more important to me. Um, I, I've been humbled in, in, in my more current chapter of leadership, which is having left McKinsey than being, you know, in, in tech companies in Silicon Valley, um, uh, and also being older, frankly, you know, I'm 50 years old at this point. So there, there's actually cultural and, and generational lines that, you know, I've, I've also had to, um, really exercise and, and understand and, and listen to people and learn and understand you know, what's motivating people. So those, those skills, those things you just described have become even more paramount to me, uh, as I've you know, progressed into this kind of phase. And we'll be right back after this message. 
Hey, you're like me, you're wanting to improve your health but never sure where to start. With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery. It's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimes. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide busy professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The intuitive app I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals, gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy. And most importantly, I got increased energy and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze, and learn what your metabolism responds to best. And that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash dose. That's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And now back to the show. How long have you been at Facebook or now Meta? So how long have you been there? I've been here for three years, just over three years. That's at Facebook. I joined Facebook three years ago. Before that, I was uh, at Yahoo for five, five years, Yahoo, and then Yahoo combined with AOL. Uh, yeah. became a company under, owned by Verizon called Oath. So anyway, and, I was and there. You- so I, I came out here to Silicon Valley, which is where I went to high school nearby here. So it's not like this was a new planet for me, but I... I've been out here working in a professional capacity with my family since 2013. Okay, so it's yeah, almost not, almost ten years, nine years. When you got into that, did was it the technical aspect of going to Yahoo, or that was was it the engineering background? Was 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 that what was kind of drawing you to that, or and or was that what they were attracted to you about, or what you know what was kind of the goal or the dream of of making that shift out of McKinsey into this kind of tech space? Uh, thanks for asking. First of all, it's a two-way question. So in terms of what was attracting me, um, was I went to McKinsey, I, I, I didn't, I, I, you know, at no point growing up, did I ever utter the words, I want right. to be a consultant, you know, exactly. <laughs> was, right. I, I, I ended up doing it. Yeah. It was with great people and I liked it, but it wasn't what I thought was my end all be all. And so I, I made a conscious decision as I was kind of turning the decade chapter in my 40s that I was going to think about what was next and didn't think I would do that forever. And, um, and, but I've always been very ambivalent, uh, not ambivalent, agnostic, I guess, of like, I like, I like a lot of things, you know, I I could work in an airplane building where I could, you know, work in a, you know, financial, I, 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 to me, what was more important was uh, people I was working with, the sense of purpose and mission to the organization, uh, you know, those were probably probably the most important thing to me. And so I I, I got a call. Uh, Yahoo was had a new CEO named Marissa Myers, amazing woman, and I was really compelled. I found her very compelling, and her leadership team very compelling, and their effort to turn around this company to be very compelling. And 
and I don't know if I, it was like a social mission, but I, I thought there was a, you know, there was a purpose to the role. And what they saw in me was honestly, I think the military and the McKinsey thing were, that's a pattern that they'd seen in a few others at Google, other people had come out here in the tech space and done well with that kind of mix, that cocktail of background. And so I think that's why they, they, they were attracted to me. It's hard to make a transition into, uh, you know, a company like, like these that late in your life. It's not an easy transition. So that was a big tr new transition for me. And that's, that's, that's how it came about. That, that's what I was wondering. Cause it just seemed like, wow, you know, that late in life to get, cause it seems like a company like a Yahoo or particularly Facebook or Meta, it's almost like you'd be too old. You know what I mean? Like, I can't see myself. Like, like why would they hire me? They'd be like, who's this dinosaur that's coming here? <laughs> you know, I'm 53, you know? And but. Yeah. I, I probably, if I waited another year or two, I might not have been able to affect that change. Um, but yeah, I came out, interviewed, uh, hit it off, you know, um, and I like the energy of the place. And, um, but I would say, just like when I left from the military into McKinsey, I had the same, different, but the same kind of like, oh, wow, this is different. All the things I thought I learned and I thought were good at are true, you know, though I am, but they're not complete. And there's still other things I need to, other, other, other things I need to learn and to, you know, to, to, to thrive in this environment. I always felt like I would be good as a general manager or a leader in a big company, especially having been in the military. But I, I didn't appreciate there was a pretty big transition and a new set of skills to be learned with humility, um, you know, to get better at. What, what, what are some of those things that stood out? I'm curious about that because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and like, yeah. I, I, I think I'd be too like, oh, I've got this 16, 20 years of 16 years in the corporate arena. I've got 10 years in the, in the Marine Corps as a leader and a pilot. I, I think I can handle, I can figure this out. There's nothing new here. I think I would probably be arrogant enough to think that initially, <laughs> but what, what were some of the things that maybe humbled you yeah. that were different? Cause you had two, you had two extensive chapters there, right? And it yeah, seemed two like long chapters and, and you've got enough life stink on you for being, a, you know, 50 years on this planet that you think you would had almost seen everything I would think, particularly yeah, with McKinsey. No, it was humbling. There was a lot I hadn't, hadn't seen. Um, I would say there's a, you know, first of all, there's in the Valley in Silicon Valley, these companies, Yahoo and Facebook are product driven companies. And I, I, I don't think I ever really understood what that meant, but these are Marissa, you know, grew up as a product engineer and a product manager at Google and, you know, having gone to Stanford and Zuck obviously is a product builder, you know, I mean, right. in, in, instinctively, innately a product builder who's surrounded by the, you know, if, if the company were a ship, the, you know, the bridge um, would be, you know, would be occupied by people who are, who are computer engineers and product designers. Right. And one of the things I realized very early, this is not probably a leadership lesson, but you, you, you cannot succeed if you cannot relate to uh, the product leaders and, and, and to product engineers, you know, in this environment. I, I was, I think, fortunate to have had an engineering background, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I, engineering made sense to me. And it, it turned out I'd, I'd gone to grad school and in my 
my graduate thesis was all coded. I, I didn't, I, I wrote code for two years. So I had, I was at least, you know, I could at least pass the first test. Of like, have you ever written a line of code in your life? Um, yeah. But there's, there's, there's almost like an intellectual arrogance. Like if you can't structure and think and, you know, like a product leader, um, and they're very smart people, by the way, it was extremely smart people. So that, that was, that was like a litmus test. I would say, you know, test number one, um, there was another element that I mentioned before, which was leading, uh, well, for, secondly, I'd say very dynamic. So these, these companies are very dynamic and they're changing all the time. I think McKinsey had really helped me. Like I said, I, I, I had a very good sense of confidence in my first principles at solving new business problems and, 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 and approaching problems fast. So those, that was a good carryover. I think the generational and the cultural things were definitely new to mm. me. Also, even, you know, to some extent, organizational politics. I don't want to say politics in a dirty, sleazy way. I get, yeah, I got you. Just but, a normal human beings working together in, in a large organization. Yeah, and organizational yeah. history and the importance of the language you choose and the words you use. Yeah. Uh, they assigned me, you know, the, I was assigned an HR business partner specifically assigned to me in the first week. I'm like, why do I need this person? Like, I, I know people. Like I said, I felt like I had people picked up. But I found out very quickly how invaluable it was to have somebody help you navigate the organizational politics and histories of, 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 of business. But, you know, two things initially were the global piece, you know, working across cultures, you know, leading a team in India or a team in Taiwan or a team in um, Berlin, you know, um, the, the cultural differences, the cultural expectations were things that I picked up some, but, but really leading those teams, that was, that was, those were, there were cultural norms that I had to, to, to become a lot more comfortable with. And then there was a generational piece, which was, you know, uh, it's easy to be the, I, I regress quickly into the old guy in the porch, like, you know, they don't know what challenges are like. Um, but we live in a, in a different, a different time and the millennials and Gen X, and, you know, they, they, they're different expectations and uh, people would come in the organization with a very different set of expectations. I was projecting my values on them, the things that made me join the military or made me, you know, love McKinsey were not the reason that a lot of the folks here were joining uh, and their sense of, um, you know, their sense of self was very different than, than, than mine. So there was a generational piece. Um, and I would say, you know, at Facebook, it's a, you know, there's also just a, a, gen, a, a, a broader culture piece where Facebook, um, Facebook um, prides itself internally at um, being a progressive culture. In other words, you know, creating an opportunity where there's uh, the, the diversity, equity, inclusion are not just talked about. These are paramount front burner top shelf things we work on all the time and um and that was evident to me the first day i joined facebook even more so i, I would say than, than than yahoo uh and for me as a white male 50 year old white male that there are consequences to my uh you know to my background and my ability to to relate to people in this environment um you, you know you really have to demonstrate a level of understanding, being an ally uh, to the um, concerns of, you know, underrepresented minorities, women, 
across the board. And, I, and those are things that I, I am perfectly comfortable with, but I've had to learn a lot about, you know, and I've had to really examine my own background, biases, norms. And it's a very, it's a very different culture than uh, obviously, you know, over the longer arc, looking back to having been in the military, which I'm not saying there's anything the military promotes great equality and experiences across, you know, gender and, and, and race. Um, but they're different, different cultures. And here it's so much, uh, you know, kind of a frontal lens in terms of how leaders lead and people follow and what people value that that was also very new, new for me. And there were days where I was, I was really wondering, am I the right person to be here? And can I lead in this environment? So, um, those were all, those, those were, those were contextually things that caused me with humility to try to learn how to relate to people, how to think about the different people, different people's experiences and, um, you know, how to lead. You know, how to lead. Yeah. I can imagine that would probably be the most challenging piece, piece for myself, you know, it, understanding that and trying to navigate that. So kudos to you for being able to, to, to with a humble teachable spirit, figure that out. You know, I think that that's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. That has to be um, a, a pretty stiff challenge. I, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you can get philosophical and political here, neither of which I want to do, <laughs> but no, yeah, right. you know, the, the reality of the world in which we live is, you know, um, you know, the, the boards of directors, the leadership teams of the future, the, 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 the teams that they're leading are going to look vastly different than they, you know, I'm working in this building here. I'm in Silicon Valley today. I came into my office. Um, I would bet that over 70% of the people in this building, English is not their first language. And, yeah. you know, I would bet over 50% probably were not born in the United States. Um, and, you know, that kind of co-mixing of our of our communities and society is going to continue. And so, you know, learning to lead in those environments is, is, um, is something we're going to have to do. You know? Well, and I think that's one of the advantages, you know, even um, having the benefit, almost every job that I've had, I've had certainly in the Marine Corps, I traveled all over the world, being an aviator, I had the, the pleasure of visiting so many countries, even before in the 10 years that I was there and seeing so many different cultures. And then even when I got out in corporate everywhere I've been, I've traveled. And certainly being a national pilot, now you see it. And there is something about being exposed. You know, you have to, it, when you travel the world anyway, and I know f you get the sense when you're in the, when you're here in the States and particularly when I'm here in the middle of the States, I'm in Kansas when you're there, sometimes you just think there's nothing else but this, you know, or even there's only, this is the United States and that's it. When you get away from the United States and you're, totally immersed in a culture in a different country you you get this sense of how kind of insignificant and small you are as a human being and and who you are as an american right and nothing against them i mean i love i love being a, i think it's the greatest country on the planet but yes. you know what i'm saying because when when you're all you see on tv all you see on the internet you think you think that kind of the whole world revolves around the United States and it doesn't when you sit there in the middle in the streets of Lima, Peru, they don't care, you know, they got so, you know, and, and to me, that's kind of what I was thinking when you're talking about that, that when you're kind of exposed and seeing, in other words, you've kind of got these preconceived notions, you know, you and I grew up in the seventies and the eighties and you got these preconceived notions of what a corporation should be like. Right. And so you can't, exactly. you've got to throw all that away. And, and that's kind of the beauty of, I think, of 
I think, I think you're right. I think that's that gets to the humility we were talking about before. I mean, listen, we all have norms and biases. That's just a product of who we are and the place mm-hmm. and the time that we grew up. It doesn't make us bad people. But I think the humility comes in realizing that um, that you do have those biases or norms. And just like for me, you know, when I left the military, I thought, oh, I got leadership figured out. You know, you realize, right. oh, there's a whole different world that operates very differently than what I thought was leadership. And I've been learning, you know, since I was the plebe, you know, when I turned 17, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, okay, I got to report. And then I learned that again, you know, when I left McKinsey and came in the company, like, oh, I have all the tools, but I'm a great problem solver. I've led people in the military. Oh, wait, this is a lot different. And I think that humility to continue to recognize that other people have uh, very different human experiences. And, and without without doing that, I don't think you can be an effective leader. I agree with you. And I think one thing that, to me, I like to simplify it in in the sense that I do think, and trying to find, well, what is it, regardless of what, you know, what biases or norms or what cultural difference everybody has, what are the common, th- I'm always interested in what the common thread that everybody, no matter what, what human beings want. And yeah. if you really strip it down, every human being, no matter what they're doing, they want to know that they're here and that they mattered, right? And I think that's helped me tremendously in my leadership journey and trying to lead and, and challenge situations instead of trying to impose, well, this is how I did it. And I made this mistake. Well, this is how I did it in the Marine Corps. If you just would follow me, everything would be fine, right? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and kind of being that naive early on and then realizing that Again, going back to what you said, you know, 15 minutes ago about the people leadership and the communication aspect that 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 emotional intelligence piece, if you spend the rest of your life trying to figure that out, you're going to be so far ahead of your contemporaries. Again, not that this is a competition, but also you're going to make the place better than you found it. And I think that's the other universal obligation that we're all obligated to do is to leave the campsite better than we found it. And I think if you stick, you keep it that simple from a leadership and how you lead in diverse environments, it's just that understanding no matter who this person is, and even if you vehemently degree, disagree with their values and their fundamentals, they still at a deep level want to know that they're here and that they made a difference. That's how I like to look at it. I don't know. What are your thoughts when you hear that? I, I, I totally agree. If you forced, you know, a boil down to the ultimate first principle, I would say, that is absolutely right. Everybody, you know, nobody, nobody's born bad or wakes up in the morning. You know, <laughs> right. Everybody wants to, wants to matter. They want to be loved. They want to matter. Um, you know, they want to be appreciated. You know, those are damn near universal attributes, I believe. And the time you take to invest and learn that in somebody uh, is going to make you a better leader. And then, you know, to your other point, no, it's not a competition. I think, but but it's an obligation we all have to, yeah, it's the obligation. Yeah. You know, we're all given a certain card, you know, set of cards, you know, skills and ap- ap- aptitudes, you know, and we can't change those, but I think we have an obligation. And I do think I, I, I put leadership and obligation in the same sentence a lot. I feel it. In fact, at Oath, we made it a, a company where Yahoo and AOL combined everybody, Tim Armstrong, the CEO, super awesome leader. Um, but they decided everybody in the company was going to have a three-word oath, and mine was ob- obligation to lead. And I think I think that wor- those words go go together really nicely. And I think we all have an obligation to, like you said, lead and lead meaning leave the place better than you found it. You know, Max, you know, do as much good as you can in the world around you, and and 
And the more the more we spend understanding time, understanding the people around us, and understanding their needs, then I think that that we're more effective in the end. So. I agree hundred percent. I love that. You know, and it, it's an intentionality, right? Because I'm, I, I left an, a lack of intentionality will revert to a selfish place. And, and that's just how I think humans, or at least I'm wired anyway. And if I'm not intentional about this and trying to improve it, you know, I will revert back to more reactionary or more selfish. And um, that's something I have to work on every day. You know, and I think yeah, mostly, I was, uh, most leaders that I know, most leaders that I know would, would say the same thing. They're like, yeah, I got to work at this, you know, and you never fully arrive. I don't, I think it's a myth to sit there and think, hey, there's this mythical leadership flag and I've planted it on the peak and I've, I've done it. That's, that never happens. No. And if I catch yeah, I myself my saying badge. that, yeah, I got my leadership Or badge. I read the book. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> we were talking the other day about servant leadership. You know, there's a lot of great leadership concepts out there, but I, I really believe it's a constant journey. It's also a very personal journey. Um, I think it requires a lot of reflection. You know, practices like writing a journal, understanding yourself, because understanding others a lot of times, you know, understand yourself is the first part of that. Is is you know a huge huge factor. And I I agree with you. It's an obligation. I've had some people. I've, over the nine years talking to the show, we've talked about that concept of obligation. Some people have vehemently degree, disagreed with me that it's not an obligation, that it's a privilege mm. that you need to seek out. And I'm like, well, but look, I, and then I, I always kind of go back to what you said about the obligation piece. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be called at some time in your life to to exhibit some form of leadership. You know, yeah, yeah. It, you know, and then you, it's pretty easy. You go down and you're like, are you are you a spouse? Um, are you a parent? Do you have a sip, a brother, a sister? Right. <laughs> Are you an right. aunt or an uncle? Are you a citizen of a community? Are, you know, you can go down the line. At some point, somebody's going to be looking to you for influence and guidance, whether you like it or not. And so that's where the obligation piece to me. I think it's really well in. said. I, I don't mean that in a way that you know anybody should feel like a, you know if they're not inclined. If they're more you know if they're more inclined to work. We call it IC. You know, being an individual contributor at Facebook, you're an IC five. Yeah. You know, if they're more inclined to be an IC. Yeah, that's that's fine, but in some dimension of your life, you know, you're going to you're going to um, be expected to influence. You should aspire to influence others, and I think that's that alone is 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 leadership. Yeah, and studying leadership doesn't mean you're trying to get into the C-suite of some no. major corporation, no. right? No. It's just like you said, no. getting up and and exhibiting some sort of <laughs> really love of of your your fellow man and, and the place where you live. And are you going to do something to, to try to make it better today than yesterday? That's really what it boils down to for me. I'm looking well, at the clock, dude. Thoughts, I, so. I, yeah. I we could go on. I, I really enjoy this conversation. I hope we can do it again. I hope we can meet in person sometime. I, I, I just think you're fascinating. Your story, your three chapters from the, from the Naval Academy slash military to McKinsey to this tech space. And now at Facebook is an amazing journey. And I, I, I got a lot of, nuggets out of it and, and perspective just talking with you. So I, I think it was a great conversation. Um, what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts as we wrap this up? I never get tired of this topic. Um, I love talking about it. I love reflecting on it. I love reading about other people and trying to put myself in their situation. So I hope, I assume you have a lot of people listening to the podcast that, that, you know, to some extent feel the same way. So I applaud you all. And 
appreciate that you do this and I'd be psyched to do chapter two. I'd, <laughs> yeah. Part two of this, there's lots, lots of things we didn't touch on. So yeah, let's commit to that. Any words of advice to anyone that's gets getting started in leadership, maybe stuck in a leadership journey or even kind of resources that you, that, that you kind of rely on as we wrap up? Well, I give a word of encouragement, which is when I was that 17 year old going to Naval Academy, listen, I looked up to my father, you know, he was one of my leadership role models and I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to be one one hundredth of what he does or, um, you know, has done or, or can do or is influence, you know, which I thought is profound. I won't go into his whole story. But, um, but what I would say is that leadership is a skill. Again, it's not a gift. Nobody, you know, whatever God you believe in, it's not like yes. you know, somebody gave you a DNA code and said you're a leader, you're not a leader. It's learnable. It's, it's, it's a lifelong learning journey. And I would say start the journey, you know, pick some dimension of, of leadership, studying others or, you know, books. I'm not a big, by the way, I'm not a big business book reader. And I don't think that the real leadership, you know, at the Naval Academy, they made us read volumes and volumes of books on leadership. But you know, I think the real, the real learning comes from life experience. But regardless of how you're, you're, everybody learns differently. And, but I would say, you know, treat it as it's, it doesn't, and you're not going to learn it all by next year. You know, just pick a piece, you know, part, take a part of it. I, I used to be scared to death to stand in front of a room and communicate. Like I would, my heart would be out of my chest if I had to, you know, right. doing a speech in high school was the worst experience ever. It was just utter torture. And, you know, again, you know, those things just through practice, you know, you really can, can exercise those things. So I would encourage the learning journey and, and don't think of it as something that's a gift. It's not a, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a set of skills, a bunch of skills. And you have a set of aptitudes that make you, that you can use. It's like strength building. You have a set of strengths you, you can use and, and, and uh, to be a good leader. So that's my word of encouragement. Well said. I agree with you. All you got to do is raise your hand. You don't have to go to take a course. You don't have to get a degree. You don't have to, you know, listen to this podcast. You just need to raise your hand and, and, and dive in. Yeah. Well said. John, what a great conversation. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Super cool, Rich. Talk soon. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.